6 through verse number 13. Um, and we still have several other passages to go, but um, we're going to break these things down. We said that there are um, basically five total segments uh, in, in Romans chapter 9. You can break it up into five segments. We dealt with the first one uh, of verse 1 through verse number 5 as uh, Paul presents his broken heart for the lost of Israel. And, uh, and then we, we mentioned how Matthew Henry, after those five verses, Matthew Henry had uh, worded it this way concerning the remainder of the chapter. Uh, he said, uh, now the difficulty is to reconcile the rejection of the unbelieving Jews with the word of God's promise and the external tokens of the divine favor which had been conferred upon them. And um, best way to kind of bring that into layman's terms, you don't fully understand what he's talking about, uh, is the fact that Israel was was struggling with the idea that God would reject anyone who was a Jew. And uh, it didn't make sense to them because the Jews were God's chosen people. They had the favor of God. They had the promise of God of God on their life and their children and their children's children. And by that promise, uh, Jews or Israelites were um, known to and still today have a habit of believing that they are favored above the rest of mankind and that because of God's promise, that promise was that anyone born a Jew is a child of God, protected by God, no matter what they do, no matter where they go. If they were born of the house of Israel, they have the promise of God that they are special. And, um, and so Paul is trying to get them to understand that uh, being a Jew or being of the house of Israel is, is not the answer for Israel. Um, it is true that God's promise... Um, was was accurate and God's promise was not taken away. They they had a promise of God's God's blessing and God's protection and the fact that they were a special chosen people of God um, through Abraham and uh, and because of that uh, that the idea was if if God made a promise how could God go back on it how could God change his promise. And, and remove it from the people of Israel. So they, they struggled reconciling the idea that anyone who was a Jew could be rejected by God. That would, of course, in their mind, break the promise of God. Um, but as a whole, we understand that the, the main theme we mentioned last week, that chapter 9, its theme is God's righteous sovereignty. So God is sovereign. Uh, God is in control. God uh, is the one who decides, and it is according to his will that all things uh, were created and that all things remain to exist. And, uh, and with that sovereignty comes the perfect will, the perfect plan of God. And, uh, and so as we looked at verse 1 through 5, Paul laid out his brokenheartedness for those of Israel that were lost, and to qualify what he means by lost and separated from God, um, he had to go back a little bit and, and deal with them concerning what was the promise. 
So to, uh, to, to reconcile this thought of, well, God gave us favor, God chose us, God said we're special, God said we are his people. How can we stop being his people? God would have to stop giving and stop keeping his promise. And, uh, and Paul begins to uh, show them the difference between the promise of God on the beginning from Abraham of favor and being chosen in God's sovereignty and God's will of perfect design uh, to call himself out a peculiar, a special people. And the difference between that and the idea of salvation through Christ, which Paul already pointed out the fact that it was through the Jew, through Israel, that God brought about the birth of his only begotten son, which again, um, is a token of understanding that God had kept his promise and still keeps his promise that he does things through Israel as his chosen people uh, and, and he uses Israel in multiple ways. Matter of fact, even if you go to the book of Revelation, uh, you find that everything circles back around and though Israel has suffered um, consequence for having rejected God's plan and God's will. Israel has suffered at times. Israel has not had the entire blessing of God that he intended and wanted to give them. Uh, but as, as a father is to his children, um, just because um, uh, a, a father is not able to bless like he would want to doesn't mean that a father has rejected um, his children from being uh, of his choice and, and being those whom he wants to bless. Now, in this particular case, God chose Abraham, God chose the seed of Abraham, but he did it very specifically. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to tie it all together as we go through several other verses. But uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, the first of the last four segments uh, beyond Paul presenting his brokenness for Israel. And now he goes into to qualifying how an Israelite can be rejected of God, and yet God has not failed to keep his promise. So in, to do that, he starts off, first of all, um, with, with the, the second uh, segment of uh, verses, which is verse 6 to verse number 13. And this segment uh, would be, if you were to give it a title, uh, this second segment, a breakdown of this chapter, would be the explanation of the true meaning and intent of the promise. So, uh, uh, the very first part of, uh, of verse number six uh, lays out the first half of it, uh, lays out the thought that you know, God's word is not given in vain. In verse uh, number six, uh, first half of it, it says, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. And uh, we know that God's word shall stand. We know that uh, God's word is true, um, that, uh, that the word of God um, will not return void. And so when God makes a promise, when God speaks uh, according to his, his intent and his design, uh, God's word is not going to just um, uh, go into the void and God's word is not going to be wiped away uh, it will stand, it will be completed. When God makes a promise, God keeps his promise. The question is not, uh, as many of the Israelites were, were struggling with, well, how could God fail to keep his promise? That's not the question. The real question is, 
why did they not understand what the promise was all about? The promise was not that God had chosen a people that could never be rejected by God because there were numerous times when he, he told them, you reject me and I will reject you um, when it comes to the blessings and all that he would want to do. And he put them into captivity and then they would cry out in captivity and he'd send a deliverer. And then they'd be delivered, and then through that deliverance, he would then begin to bless them again because they turned their heart back to him. And then later on, as that, uh, that generation that turned back to God and saw the deliverance, as that generation began to die off, uh, the next generation would then turn their hearts from God again. And when they turned from God, God would then, to a degree, uh, turn his back uh, and, and his blessings from them and, uh, and then let them go back into captivity again. Does that mean that God hated Israel? No, he loved them. That's why he chastened them. Does it mean that God broke his promise? No, he didn't break his promise. He's just not able to give the blessings he'd like to give. But through it all, Israel has never been wiped off the face of the earth. You think of all the different uh, people who have tried to destroy Israel, all the different uh, uh, world leaders who have tried to annihilate every single Jew. Uh, you can go back to Hitler and many others. The attempts they had to get rid of every Jew, and yet no matter how hard uh, or how, how much uh, the world through gen different generations has tried to annihilate and do away with the Jews, uh, regardless of how uh, many millions have died God has never allowed his people to be wiped out. Therefore, his promise, ultimately his promise, has never been removed. It has been kept and it has remained true. Though Israel has not always received the blessings God would love to have given them. They've had times of great blessing. They've had times of great persecution due to sin and rejection of God's plan and God's law and ultimately of Christ in what we see today. But, uh, but as we see here, God, God's word is not given in vain. Uh, Paul, Paul said that um, it's not as though the word of God had taken none effect. So there, there is an issue with what they were thinking, but it doesn't mean that God has rejected or removed his blessings or taken back what he promised. Um, his word still stands. So then it comes in, uh, to, to let her be here. So we know the word of God is not given in vain. The word of God stands. His promises are faithful and true. And you can always uh, depend upon what God has promised to do. And the children of Israel needed to know that as well. So Paul tells them that. But then the second half of verse number six, all the way down to verse number 13, uh, deals with a true understanding of the promise. What is the promise? The promise that God uh, would, would, would um, he, he chose the children of Israel and therefore they've always been chosen. They are the children of God. They need nothing else other than just to be born in the house of Israel. And if they're born in the house of Israel, they're automatically favored and special and therefore already receive the token of salvation through being a Jew. And that's what Paul is saying is an error. They misunderstand the promise. The promise is not a promise of being a child of God as we see it in the understanding of through the blood of Christ. It is not a promise of being a child of God that does not need Christ. It is a promise that has to deal with the choosing 
of whom God wanted to use and bless as a people and that they would be a specific, peculiar, special people unto God, but not to the point where they could reject Christ and still be of God. So Paul's trying to get them to understand that being an Israelite is not all that matters. There is a much more important understanding uh, to the promise that they were given. And so looking at the last part, Paul says, the last part of verse number six, Paul says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Now, again, he's not saying um, that those who are saved, the church is now a new Israel. He's not saying that. What he's, what he's saying is that there is the speaking of the true Israel, the chosen Israel. And Paul is mentioning here that they're, they're not all of true Israel when you talk about when God looks at Israel and he looks for the people who have chosen him that are of the house of Israel that are, to a degree, you want to put it this way, twice born. They're born of the house of Israel and they're born again of God through Christ. And uh, much like we are born into this world, maybe not of the house of Israel, but as Gentiles, we are born of this world. That's the first birth. What is the second birth? Born again through Christ. Every Israelite needed to understand that in order to be a true child of God for eternity, they had to also be born again through Christ. And, and so Paul is saying, you're speaking of true Israel, the Israel that God is looking for, that Israel, just because one is of the house of Israel does not mean that they are of true Israel in God's eyes. True Israel is an Israel that chooses God, and who is God other than Christ himself who died on the cross? So to reject Christ is to reject God, and to reject God means that there is no salvation and you are not of God's intended true Israel for the Jews. And, uh, and so he goes into this. I'm gonna, we'll get through these other things quickly because they, they just kind of build on each other. And so um, the, the promise as a whole, you have to understand that the promise is not dealing with uh, Israelites being chosen of God with automatic salvation. Uh, the promise is not des describing the saved children of God. The promise is describing a people that God chose for himself starting with Abraham. He gave a promise to Abraham that from his seed, from him, would come a nation and a people whom God would oversee, whom would be special to Almighty God himself, to Jehovah God, and, uh, and that God himself would see that his promise that it would become a nation like the sands of the sea uh, and the stars in the sky, that you could not number them, that he would keep his promise, not to just anybody, but the promise was a specific declaration of God's specific will as he predetermined who that bloodline would go through. And, uh, and so the, the promise is not describing, and he, Paul is teaching them, it's not describing a saved child of God. The promise is dealing with Israel through the bloodline of Abraham. And, uh, and, and also, 
uh, it, it, the, the saved Israel is not based on Israel itself through the flesh or according to the flesh. Paul is pointing that out uh, in, in verse number 7. He says, um, neither because they are uh, the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy, thy seed be called. So he defines a couple of things. That, uh, that just because they're a child of Israel and they're born as an Israelite does not mean that God is referring to them as a saved or forgiven individual. And, uh, and then he goes on and defines that God had a plan and a purpose through his promise to Abraham to actually uh, uh, put together and, and produce a, a people that were no, not a people to begin with. But now they're going to be a special people through one man, one father, Father Abraham. And, uh, and then he is going to follow this promise in his own perfect will for Israel. So is Israel special? Yes. But uh, the promise is according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. The promise is according to God's plan through Abraham, but not just through Abraham. Because now Abraham, getting ahead of himself, Abraham actually has offspring that are not of God's intended promise. And so not only does he say, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So it just be, being an Israelite doesn't make you an uh, uh, eternal child of God. But he says, neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children. So just in case somebody on the other side of, of, of the issue here was to say, oh, yeah, you see, it's not Israel. It's, it's the true firstborn that inherit the promise. And, uh, and, and so Paul is clearing that up as well. Who is the, if you want to get down to it, according to the flesh, who is the true firstborn of the house of Abraham? Well, that would be Ishmael because of Abraham's uh, inability to just trust God and, 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 and even Sarah. Uh, but between the two of them, uh, they, they came up with a plan to help God fulfill his promise. But that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's way. God had a promise given to Abraham, and he was going to fulfill his promise of a nation, but it was going to be through whom God determined, and he'd already been told it will be through uh, Sarai, or Sarah, his wife, that he would bear a son that would be the lineage from Abraham moving forward through Isaac. But there is a side of the family that is, uh, if you want to call the black sheep of the family, and that's the side of Ishmael. Ishmael, to this day, the Arab nations still claim to be the firstborn of the house of Abraham, which is the biggest fight of why the Arab nations want the Israelite, the Jewish nation, to be removed and no longer a nation because the Arab nations claim that they are the rightful owners of the land that was promised to Abraham. And yet Paul clears it up here 
And he said in verse number seven, because they, neither, because they are of the seed of Abraham. It's not just because, well, we're of the seed of Abraham. We are of the promise and we are the ones given uh, this promise of God. And no, no, he says, um, neither because, because they're just of the seed of Abraham are they all children. But he clears it up. He says, okay, so what seed are we talking about? What who was it that received the promise? Well, very clearly, last part of verse number seven, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So there he clears up who receives the promise. It is Israel from Abraham to Isaac, but not only from Abraham to Isaac, but, but even in the twins that Isaac has, uh, in twin boys, you have Jacob and Esau. Even in that, God had already predetermined through his promise and his foreknowledge, and if you want to put it this way, his sovereignty, he'd already predetermined who it was that he was going to use to continue to fulfill the promise that was given of a nation, and a nation that would be blessed, and a nation that would be protected by Almighty God. And so Paul is laying out further and further that it's not just because of the seed of Abraham and it's not even being of the rightful seed of Abraham under Isaac that you receive the inheritance of salvation, the forgiveness of God for eternity. But just to clear it up, it is not the, 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 the failed offspring purpose that Abraham tried to produce, but it is of God's plan through Isaac and then from Isaac, it goes on, even to verse number eight, uh, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the, the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Okay, so he's, he's reiterating there, it's not the Ishmaelites uh, that are of the promise. It is the children of the promise, which is through Isaac, that are counted for the seed, which is the nation. So it is not a promise of God having a people that are special and therefore automatically forgiven and that's all they need. No, it is a promise that focuses on God promised to build a nation, a special nation, but a nation from Abraham to Isaac. Then it goes on in verse number nine. For this is the word of promise that uh, at, at th- that, this time that will I'm sorry, go back. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. There was your promise initially to Abraham that Sarah in her old age, inability to have children, God will miraculously give her a child in her old age. There is the beginning and starting of the promise and that is the seed of Abraham that God is going to do and and fulfill the promise through. Verse number 10 says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, uh, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. And here's the last verse we're going to stop at. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And again, we're, we're going to get into verse number 14. That's where, where it comes in, you know, is there unrighteousness with God? We're gonna, we'll deal with that later. Um, but God in his foreknowledge, his sovereignty, his will, his choice had already pre, 
uh, prescribed for the nation of promise to come from Abraham through Isaac and then through Jacob, whose name would be changed to Israel, which we get the namesake of the children of Israel, which is Israelites. And, but all of this, Paul is just laying out that the promise is not described, describing the saved uh, child of God. The saved, children, saved Israel is not based on being of Israel according to the flesh. The seed of, of the promise was a specific design and purpose. The promise was that Sarah would, 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 uh, would have a son. His name would be Isaac. And Isaac would be the beginning of the fulfillment of promise of a nation. And from Isaac, God had already pre-chosen to use Jacob, the younger, and that the older would serve the younger. Once again, showing that God is in full control. The seed of the promise was of specific design and purpose. And then also laying out here, God's promise was one of specific honor and blessing. God promised he would raise up a nation through Abraham and through Sarah. Uh, and therefore, it could not be Ishmael that, has of, that was of the promise, even though he was technically of the seed of Abraham. It had to be Isaac. And so Paul is saying, yes, there is a promise. No, that promise is not what you think it's all about. That promise was a nation. That promise was a nation that would be blessed of God, chosen of God, and used of God, but not a nation that is automatically forgiven of God. Therefore, every Israelite would have to follow the plan of God in second birth through accepting Christ as their Savior, just like any Gentile would have to. And Paul is trying to get them to understand you're, you're misinterpreting, misunderstanding what the promise is all about. It is not for anybody. The promise is not something outside of Israel. It is within Israel because it is of the house of Abraham through Isaac and then Jacob and the seed of, of Jacob going forward uh, through till the, even this time the nation of Israel. Now I'll give you these last statements and this will be the close. So what is the relation between the promise and salvation? Uh, well, what Paul wants them to understand is there is a relation there, but they're not the same thing. They're, they are kind of mirrored with each other. Uh, and here, here's what you learn from understanding how the promise given to Abraham affects the children of Israel even to this day and how it applies and what we see through salvation. Uh, just four simple things. In this relationship between the promise and salvation, you see this. God's will and plan is the final authority. So when Abraham tried to help God and Sarah tried to help God, and Ishmael is the product of Abraham and Sarah, not just letting God be God. You find that God did not change his plan and say, well, since you got ahead, you have, you have your child. We're going to go ahead and use Ishmael now. No, because God said that there would be a son, a child born of 
Sarah, not, not somebody uh, who would stand in her place for her, but specifically through Sarah. Ishmael was not the direct child of Sarah. Only Isaac was. And so therefore, God's will and plan is the final authority, whether it is to the, to the creating and, and, and the completing of a nation called Israel or it is God's plan in salvation for all mankind through Christ, including the nation of Israel having to accept Christ. God's will and plan is the final authority. He is not going to change it because man gets ahead of him or man tries to help him. God already has a plan. He's going to fulfill that plan according to his will. Then we also see that no man's status or background brings automatic salvation. Paul is telling them, you are of the house of Israel, so am I. But that does not make us a child of God eternally. How do we become an eternal child of God? Born again, saved. It's only through Christ. And even someone as special as an Israelite must choose Christ in order to have the forgiveness offered to all men. Being born of the house of Israel does not mean that you have the promise of God's automatic forgiveness. Just like being born in a rich family or being born in a preacher's home or being born uh, in, in, in this manner or in that manner uh, gives a person a status or a background that brings automatic salvation. It doesn't work that way. It works according to God's plan and what he has presented in the Bible. Then also, uh, thirdly, underneath that relationship, we see that no man can work his own will to acquire salvation. Just like uh, when, when you think of uh, Abraham trying to help God, it Abraham could not help God fulfill his promise, just like you and I cannot help God uh, fulfill his salvation in our life. We lay it at his feet. We place our faith in him. God does the work. No man can work to acquire that which only God can give, and God will do it in his own power. Not to mention, you could also look at the story between Jacob and Esau. Uh, God had already predetermined that the older would serve the younger. And yet it was through the efforts of, of uh, uh, Re Rebecca and, and, and the, the efforts of all that went on to deceive and try to make sure that it happened regardless of what uh, Jacob and his mother did, if they had never gotten ahead of God, if they had never uh, deceived and tricked and manipulated to make sure that Jacob received the blessing, regardless of what they did, God would have accomplished the same thing that we've already seen take place without deception if they just would have trusted him. God did not need Abraham to help him. God did not need uh, Jacob to help him. God had it figured out, planned, and was going to accomplish it on his own. Therefore, man cannot work or help or assist God in receiving salvation. 
It is merely faith in him, repentance, and acceptance of Christ. God is the one that gives and seals and keeps the individual that places their faith and trust in him. But then lastly, the relation here is too that God determines how one is forgiven, not man's efforts. And so as a whole, uh, God has already pre-described uh, what it takes for salvation. Uh, God had already laid out what he was going to do with Abraham and through his seed. Again, God did not need Abraham's assistance. He kept his promise. He's still keeping his promise. Is there a nation of Israel? Yes, there is, which means God's promise is still true. God's word did not fall void. Uh, it, it did not return void. He has not removed his promise. He has kept it. The nation of Israel still exists. The nation of Israel will be the focus very soon once again as things come back around for end time events. The nation of Israel is still God's special chosen people of the flesh. But, the, uh, the, but flesh will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So it's not of the children of Israel that gives them etern eternal life or eternity with God. It is still through Christ. And so we see here Paul explaining to them, you have the promise. You are a nation. You are a people. But God's looking for the people that he made a nation to be his people through Christ. That is the true Israel, the true Israelite, one born of Israel and one born again of God. That is the Israelite that God is looking for. It's not just being of the house of Israel that makes the final difference for a Jew. And so Paul is trying to establish that and trying to get them to understand how can a Jew, how can an Israelite be rejected of God and God not have failed his promise? Get straight what the promise is. The promise is you'll be made a nation. The promise is you will be a, an influential nation all the way through. And God will protect his nation that he has given the promise to. But an individual of the house of Israel can be rejected of God in eternity if that individual of the house of Israel refuses to accept Christ. Therefore, Paul is telling them, if you want to be not just of the house of Israel, but you want to be a child of God, forgiven, you must accept the one that you're fighting against. You must accept Christ as your Savior. So um, that, that's where Paul is trying to reconcile. We'll look at more of it, uh, Lord willing, even next Wednesday as we continue on uh, to verse number 14, as Paul explains how can all this be? God already predetermined that he, he loved Jacob and Esau he hated. Well, does that mean that there's unrighteousness with God because God chooses some and doesn't choose others? Uh, no, no. He goes into great detail in explaining uh, God's perfect decision-making in dealing with men in their mortality. And uh, we'll, we'll deal with that next Wednesday. But let's pray.
and then we will be um, done for the evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your...